Chapter Twenty of the Egoist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Giessen. The Egoist by George Meredith. Chapter Twenty. An aged and a great wine. The leisurely promenade up and down the lawn, with ladies and deferential gentlemen, in anticipation of the dinner-bell, was Dr. Middleton's evening pleasure. He walked as one who had formerly danced, in Apollo's time and the young god Cupid's, elastic on the muscles of the calf and foot, bearing his broad iron-grey head in grand elevation. The hard labour of the day approved the cooling exercise and the crowning refreshments of French cookery and wines of known vintages. He was happy at that hour in dispensing wisdom or nugae to his hearers, like the western sun, whose habit it is when he is fairly treated, to break out in quiet splendours which by no means exhaust his treasury blessed indeed above his fellows by the height of the bow-winged bird in a fair-weather sunset sky above the pecking sparrow is he that ever in the recurrent evening of his day sees the best of it ahead and soon to come he has the rich reward of a youth and manhood of virtuous living dr middleton misdoubted the future as well as the past of the man who did not in becoming gravity exult to dine that man he deemed unfit for this world and the next an example of the good fruit of temperance he had a comfortable pride in his digestion and his political sentiments were attuned by his veneration of the powers rewarding virtue we must have a stable world where this is to be done. The Reverend Doctor was a fine old picture, a specimen of art peculiarly English, combining in himself piety and epicurism, learning and gentlemanliness, with good room for each and a seat at one another's table. For the rest, a strong man, an athlete in his youth, a keen reader of facts and no reader of persons genial a giant at a task a steady worker besides but easily discomposed he loved his daughter and he feared her however much he liked her character the dread of her sex and age was constantly present to warn him that he was not tied to perfect sanity while the damsel clara remained unmarried her mother had been an amiable woman, of the poetical temperament nevertheless, too enthusiastic, imaginative, impulsive, for the repose of a sober scholar. An admirable woman, still, as you see, a woman, a firework. The girl resembled her. Why should she wish to run away from Patton Hall for a single hour? simply because she was of the sex born mutable and explosive a husband was her proper custodian justly relieving a father with demagogues abroad and daughters at home philosophy is needed for us to keep erect 
let the girl beat cicero's tullia well she dies the choicest of them will furnish us examples of a strange perversity miss dale was beside dr middleton clara came to them and took the other side i was telling miss dale that the signal for your subjection is my enfranchisement he said to her sighing and smiling we know the date the date of an event to come certifies to it as a fact to be counted on are you anxious to lose me clara faltered my dear you have planted me on a field where i am to expect the trumpet and when it blows i shall be quit of my nerves no more clara found nothing to seize on for a reply in these words she thought upon the silence of Letitia. Sir Willoughby advanced, appearing in a cordial mood. "'I need not ask you whether you are better,' he said to Clara, sparkled to Letitia, and raised a key to the level of Dr. Middleton's breast, remarking, "'I am going down to my inner cellar.' "'An inner cellar!' exclaimed the doctor. "'Sacred from the butler.' it is interdicted to stonemen shall i offer myself as guide to you my cellars are worth a visit cellars are not catacombs they are if rightly constructed rightly considered cloisters where the bottle meditates on joys to bestow not on dust misused have you anything great a wine aged ninety is it associated with your pedigree that you pronounce the age with such assurance my grandfather inherited it your grandfather sir willoughby had meritorious offspring not to speak of generous progenitors what would have happened had it fallen into the female line i shall be glad to accompany you port hermitage port ah we are in england there will just be time said sir willoughby inducing dr middleton to step out a chirrup was in the reverend doctor's tone hocks too have compassed age i have tasted senior hocks their flavours are as a brook of many voices they have depth also senatorial port we say we cannot say that of any other wine port is deep sea deep it is in its flavour deep mark the difference it is like a classic tragedy organic in conception an ancient hermitage as the light of the antique the merit that it can grow to an extreme old age a merit neither of hermitage nor of hock can you say that it is the blood of these long years retaining the strength of youth with the wisdom of age to port for that port is our noblest legacy observe i do not compare the wines i distinguish the qualities let them live together for our enrichment they are not rivals like the idean three were they rivals a fourth would challenge them burgundy has great genius it does wonders within its period it does all except to keep up in the race it is short-lived an aged burgundy runs with a beardless port i cherish the fancy that port speaks the sentences of wisdom burgundy sings the inspired ode 
or put it that port is the homeric hexameter burgundy the pindaric dithyram what do you say the comparison is excellent sir the distinction you would remark pindar astounds but his elder brings us the more sustaining cup one is a fountain of prodigious ascent one is the unsounded purple sea of marching billows a very fine distinction i conceive you to be now commending the similes they pertain to the time of the first critics of those poets touch the greeks and you can touch nothing new all has been said grais praeter laudem nullius avaris genius dedicated to fame is immortal we sir dedicate genius to the cloacaline floods we do not address the unforgetting gods but the popular stomach sir willoughby was patient he was about as accordantly coupled with dr middleton in discourse as a drum duetting with a bass viol and when he struck in he received correction from the pedagogue instrument if he thumped affirmative or negative he was wrong however he knew scholars to be an unmannered species and the doctor's learnedness would be a subject to dilate on in the cellar it was the turn for the drum dr middleton was tongue-tied there sir willoughby gave the history of his wine in heads of chapters whence it came to the family originally and how it had come down to him in the quantity to be seen curiously my grandfather who inherited it was a water drinker my father died early indeed dear me the doctor ejaculated in astonishment and condolence the former glanced at the contrariety of man the latter embraced his melancholy destiny he was impressed with respect for the family this cool vaulted cellar and the central square block or enceinte where the thick darkness was not penetrated by the intruding lamp but rather took it as an eye bore witness to forethoughtful practical solidity in the man who had built the house on such foundations a house having a great wine stored below lives in our imaginations as a joyful house fast and splendidly rooted in the soil and imagination has a place for the heir of the house his grandfather a water-drinker his father dying early present circumstances to us arguing predestination to an illustrious heirship and career dr middleton's musings were coloured by the friendly vision of glasses of the great wine his mind was festive it pleased him and he chose to indulge in his whimsical robustious grandiose airy style of thinking from which the festive mind will sometimes take a certain print that we cannot obliterate immediately expectation is grateful you know in the mood of gratitude we are waxen and he was a self-humouring gentleman he liked sir willoughby's tone in ordering the servant at his heels to take up those two bottles it prescribed without overdoing it a proper amount of caution and it named an agreeable number watching the man's hand keenly he said but here is the misfortune of a thing super excellent 
not more than one in twenty will do it justice sir willoughby replied very true sir and i think we may pass over the nineteen women for example and most men this wine would be a sealed book to them i believe it would it would be a grievous waste vernon is a claret man and so is horace de craye they are both below the mark of this wine they will join the ladies perhaps you and i sir might remain together with the utmost good will on my part i am anxious for your verdict sir you shall have it sir and not out of harmony with the chorus preceding me i can predict cool not frigid dr middleton summed the attributes of the cellar on quitting it north side and south no musty damp a pure air everything requisite one might lie down oneself and keep sweet here of all our venerable british of the two isles professing a suckling attachment to an ancient port wine lawyer doctor squire rosy admiral city merchant the classic scholar is he whose blood is most nuptial to the webbed bottle the reason must be that he is full of the old poets he has their spirit to sing with and the best that time has done on earth to feed it he may also perceive a resemblance in the wine to the studious mind which is the obverse of our mortality and throws off acids and crusty particles in the piling of the years until it is fulgent by clarity port hymns to his conservatism it is magical at one sip he is off swimming in the purple flood of the ever youthful antique by comparison then the enjoyment of others is brutish they have not the soul for it but he is worthy of the wine as are poets of beauty in truth these should be severally apportioned to them scholar and poet as his own good thing let it be so meanwhile dr middleton sipped after the departure of the ladies sir willoughby had practised a studied curtness upon vernon and horace you drink claret he remarked to them passing it round port i think dr middleton the wine before you may serve for a preface we shall have your wine in five minutes the claret jug empty sir willoughby offered to send for more de craye was languid over the question vernon rose from the table we have a bottle of dr middleton's port coming in willoughby said to him mine you call it cried the doctor it's a royal wine that won't suffer sharing said vernon we'll be with you if you go into the billiard-room vernon i shall hurry my drinking of good wine for no man said the reverend doctor horace i'm beneath it ephemeral willoughby i'm going to the ladies vernon and de craye retired upon the arrival of the wine and dr middleton sipped he sipped and looked at the owner of it some thirty dozen he said fifty the doctor nodded humbly 
"'I shall remember, sir,' his host addressed him. "'Whenever I have the honour of entertaining you, I am cellarer of that wine.' The Reverend Doctor set down his glass. "'You have, sir, in some sense an enviable post. It is a responsible one, if that be a blessing. On you it devolves to retard the day of the last dozen. Your opinion of the wine is favourable, sir.' "'I will say this.' shallow souls run to rhapsody i will say that i am consoled for not having lived ninety years back or at any period but the present by this one glass of your ancestral wine i am careful of it sir willoughby said modestly still its natural destination is to those who can appreciate it you do sir still my good friend still it is a charge it is a possession but part in trusteeship though we cannot declare it an entailed estate our consciences are in some sort pledged that it shall be a succession not too considerably diminished you will not object to drink it sir to the health of your grandchildren and may you live to toast them in it on their marriage day you colour the idea of a prolonged existence in seductive hues ha it is a wine for tithonus this wine would speed him to the rosy morning ha ha i will undertake to see you through it up to morning said sir willoughby innocent of the bacchic nuptiality of the illusion dr middleton eyed the decanter there is a grief in gladness for a premonition of our mortal state the amount of wine in the decanter did not promise to sustain the starry roof of night and greet the dawn old wine my friend denies us the full bottle another bottle is to follow no it is ordered i protest it is uncorked i entreat it is decanted i submit but mark it must be honest partnership you are my worthy host sir on that stipulation note the superiority of wine over venus i may say the magnanimity of wine our jealousy turns on him that will not share but the corks willoughby the corks excite my amazement the corking is examined at regular intervals i remember the occurrence in my father's time i have seen to it once it must be perilous as an operation for tracheotomy which i should assume it to resemble in surgical skill and firmness of hand not to mention the imminent gasp of the patient a fresh decanter was placed before the doctor he said i have but a girl to give he was melted sir willoughby replied i take her for the highest prize this world affords i have beaten some small stock of latin into her head and a note of greek she contains a savour of the classics i hoped once but she is a girl the nymph of the woods is in her still she will bring you her flower-cup of hippocrine she has that aristocracy the noblest she is fair a beauty some have said who judge not by lines fair to me willoughby she is my sky 
there were applicants in italy she was besought of me she has no history you are the first heading of the chapter with you she will have her one tale as it should be mulier tum bene olet you know most fragrant she that smells of naught she goes to you from me from me alone from her father to her husband ut flos in septis secretus nascitur ortis he murmured on the lines to sic virgo dum i shall feel the parting she goes to one who will have my pride in her and more i will add who will be envied mr whitford must write you a carmen nuptiale the heart of the unfortunate gentleman listening to dr middleton set in for irregular leaps his offended temper broke away from the image of clara revealing her as he had seen her in the morning beside horace de craye distressingly sweet sweet with the breezy radiance of an english soft-breathing day sweet with sharpness of young sap her eyes her lips her fluttering dress that played happy mother across her bosom giving peeps of the veiled twins and her laughter her slim figure peerless carriage all her terrible sweetness touched his wound to the smarting quick her wish to be free of him was his anguish in his pain he thought sincerely when the pain was easier he muffled himself in the idea of her jealousy of letitia dale and deemed the wish a fiction but she had expressed it that was the wound he sought to comfort for the double reason that he could love her better after punishing her and that to meditate on doing so masked the fear of losing her the dread abyss she had succeeded in forcing his nature to shudder at as a giddy edge possibly near in spite of his arts of self-defence what i shall do to-morrow evening he exclaimed i do not care to fling a bottle to colonel de craye and vernon i cannot open one for myself to sit with the ladies will be sitting in the cold for me when do you bring me back my bride sir my dear willoughby the reverend doctor puffed composed himself and sipped the expedition is an absurdity i am unable to see the aim of it she had a headache vapours they are over and she will show a return of good sense i have ever maintained that nonsense is not to be encouraged in girls i can put my foot on it my arrangements are for staying here a further ten days in the terms of your hospitable invitation and i stay i applaud your resolution sir will you prove firm i am never false to my engagement willoughby not under pressure under no pressure persuasion i should have said certainly not the weakness is in the yielding either to persuasion or to pressure the latter brings weight to bear on us the former blows at our want of it you gratify me dr middleton and relieve me i cordially dislike a breach in good habits willoughby 
but i do remember was i wrong informing clara that you appeared light-hearted in regard to a departure or gap in a visit that was not i must confess to my liking simply my dear doctor your pleasure was my pleasure but make my pleasure yours and you remain to crack many a bottle with your son-in-law excellently said you have a courtly speech willoughby i can imagine you to conduct a lover's quarrel with a politeness to read a lesson to well-bred damsels Aha! spare me the futility of the quarrel all's well clara replied sir willoughby in dramatic epigram is perfection i rejoice the reverend doctor responded taught thus to understand that the lover's quarrel between his daughter and his host was at an end he left the table a little after eleven o'clock a short dialogue ensued upon the subject of the ladies they must have gone to bed why yes of course they must it is good that they should go to bed early to preserve their complexions for us ladies are creation's glory but they are anti-climax following a wine of a century old they are anti-climax recoil cross-current morally they are repentance penance imagerially the frozen north on the young brown buds bursting to green what know they of a critic in the palate and a frame all revelry and mark you revelry in sobriety containment in exultation classic revelry can they dear though they be to us light up candelabras in the brain to illuminate all history and solve the secret of the destiny of man they cannot they cannot sympathize with them that can so therefore this division is between us yet we are not turbaned orientals nor are they inmates of the harem we are not moslem be assured of it in the contemplation of the table's decanter dr middleton said then i go straight to bed i will conduct you to your door sir said his host the piano was heard dr middleton laid his hand on the banisters and remarked the ladies must have gone to bed vernon came out of the library and was hailed fellow student he waved a good night to the doctor and said to willoughby the ladies are in the drawing-room i am on my way upstairs was the reply solitude and sleep after such a wine as that and forfend us human society the doctor shouted but willoughby sir one to-morrow you dispose of the cellar sir i am fitted to drive the horses of the sun i would rigidly counsel one and no more we have made a breach in the fiftieth dozen daily one will preserve us from having to name the fortieth quite so unseasonably the couple of bottles per diem prognosticates disintegration with its accompanying recklessness constitutionally let me add i bear three i speak for posterity 
during dr middleton's allocution the ladies issued from the drawing-room clara foremost for she had heard her father's voice and desired to ask him this in reference to their departure papa will you tell me the hour to-morrow she ran up the stairs to kiss him saying again when will you be ready to-morrow morning dr middleton announced a stoutly deliberative mind in the bugle notes of a repeated Ahem. he bethought him of replying in his doctorial tongue clara's eager face admonished him to brevity it began to look starved intruding on his vision of the houris couched in the inner cellar to be the reward of valiant men it annoyed him his brows joined he said i shall not be ready to-morrow morning in the afternoon nor in the afternoon when my dear i am ready for bed at this moment and know of no other readiness ladies he bowed to the group in the hall below him may fair dreams pay court to you this night sir willoughby had hastily descended and shaken the hands of the ladies directed horace de craye to the laboratory for a smoking-room and returned to dr middleton vexed by the scene uncertain of his temper if he stayed with clara for whom he had arranged that her disappointment should take place on the morrow in his absence he said good-night good-night to her with due fervour bending over her flaccid finger-tips then offered his arm to the reverend doctor ay son willoughby in friendliness if you will though i am a man to bear my load the father of the stupefied girl addressed him candles i believe are on the first landing good-night my love clara papa good-night oh she lifted her breast with the interjection standing in shame of the curtained conspiracy and herself good-night her father wound up the stairs she stepped down there was an understanding that papa and i should go to london to-morrow early she said unconcernedly to the ladies and her voice was clear but her face too legible de craye was heartily unhappy at the sight end of chapter twenty recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey